Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Well, hey, it's good to be with you all this morning. I, uh, I especially am just thankful to be here uh, just because it feels like for me, I don't know about, oh, hey, there's, now I can see all of you. Um, it's, uh, it's been a difficult season for me to get into the Christmas spirit. Uh, I'm not really sure why this year has been just, it seems extra difficult. And uh, if you're like me in that, or if you can uh, sympathize with that, I hope that uh, our series, this Messiah series, has helped to build an anticipation for the Christmas season uh, from a Christian perspective, from just an anticipation for the arrival of Jesus or celebrating his birth and celebrating uh, the idea that we get to look forward to his return. Um, but I have not been here with you all over the last couple weeks, and uh, so I feel like that's probably uh, played a little bit into that just lack of Christmas spirit for me, and so I'm really thankful to be here today and just to share what uh, God's been kind of uh, trying to speak to me about and, and get that to you all, but um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm coming into this message from, and so if you're like that at all and can relate, well, we're in the same place, um, but uh, I think part of the reason why, and maybe if, if we're all in this together, that um, you know, I, as Russell was saying, you know, uh, talking about Christmas gifts or whatever, uh, I have in my notes here that I was going to open up with just saying happy December 19th. Uh, not November 19th, but December 19th, uh, and that came real quick. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, just not like, just it's just here. It just happens, and every year it gets faster and faster, right? And um, this year we've got extra things to be worried about or whatever. And so, again, just that idea that we can slow down enough to anticipate uh, the arrival of Jesus in this season uh, gets more and more difficult, and it just gets more and more important, I think, that we take time to uh, challenge ourselves to be able to slow down and recognize what this season truly is about. And I'm sure you've heard that over and over uh, in Christmas's past, but uh, I just feel like the faster it gets, the more important it is that we slow down. And well, hopefully this series has done that for you. We've been looking at uh, some different characters in Scripture who have been Messiah-like figures, who have uh, either filled a role or a uh, certain perspective or a certain characteristic that we ultimately will see uh, in Jesus, but then they will also fall short. And it all kind of centers around this verse out of Romans 8, uh, in eight verses eight, or it's chapter 8, verses 18 through 26. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just to paraphrase, basically, we get this this idea from Paul's writing that uh, there's from the beginning, from the time that sin entered the world, if we go all the way back to Genesis 3, look at the garden and look at sin kind of uh, entering into the world for the first time, there's been this fracturing of like basically the whole universe has, has had this kind of offset nature to it, like something's not right. And we see, uh, I'll just kind of read a couple of these verses here. Uh, in verse 21 of Romans 8, it says that, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
Like kind of just building upon this idea that there's been this, this groaning, this longing, this idea that, that something's not right here. And it's not just uh, we as humans can sense that, that we as humans can sense that there's evil or brokenness in the world, but that all of creation has in some way felt the fracturing of the universe from sin entering the world. And yet, we get to see as humans what the answer to that fracturing is. We get to see that there is an opportunity for that to be set right, uh, namely in the person of Jesus who comes, who is the true Messiah, who is the Savior of the world, and will ultimately come back and set everything right again to get us back into almost like this garden-like state where everything has been set right. But as of right now, all of creation understands that there's something off here. There's something broken. And we see that uh, as we look back to these characters, we see this anticipation that they had. We see the anticipation that the Israelites had, knowing that there was this Messiah to come. We get hints of it. God gives promises along the way. He sends people to uh, try to partner with him to, to get things back, at least to some degree, to the way that they were. But it always kind of doesn't quite work out. And I'll just do a quick recap of the two characters that we've gone through so far. So we looked first at uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac. And uh, we know that Abraham had, had his own flaws, but ultimately God gave him this promise that there would be, uh, he would have a generational blessing to the world, that he, uh, his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea, and, and that there would just be this, uh, this nation that would come from him in his line that would be uh, prominent, that, that would have significance in the history of the world and would ultimately be a blessing to the world. And yet, when he receives that, it's not for 20 years until he actually has a son with his wife. And then uh, through, we see in that story that Isaac is the one who is this miraculous son, this miraculous birth, uh, but he's also called to be sacrificed. And, and in that story, we see that just as Abraham's about to sacrifice him, God uh, intervenes, calls it off, provides a ram to be sacrificed instead. And we get this sense, if you were in this moment as an Israelite, that maybe, just maybe, this miraculously born son could be special, could have significance to him, could be the chosen one that we've been waiting on that's going to set things right. And, and God saved him from this, uh, this time to be sacrificed, but yet we see in his story later on he's going to repeat the sins that Abraham had and ultimately fall short. And we see kind of in this characteristic that I mentioned of Jesus that, that it's going to be a, a, the Messiah ultimately will be a, a son who is sacrificed with a miraculous birth, but it's not going to be Isaac. And then we last week talked about Moses and how Moses was this one who God called to set the captives free, right? The nation of Israel is in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses is called to then uh, bring them out of that. And he challenges Pharaoh and there's these plagues that happen and, and he takes them out and they do this whole wandering thing uh, for 40 years. And, and ultimately Moses does some amazing things for God's people. This, this line of people that God promised to Abraham way back. And, and yet, uh, when we get to finally the end of Moses' life, we see that uh, because he then also repeats this sin of, of following God up until a point until things get uncomfortable or things uh, begin to challenge maybe his own insecurities, something like that, like speaking to this rock to bring water out of it, uh, and he fails at that and hits it with his staff and said, which, again, I read that story and I'm like, that's kind of a small detail, right? What's the difference? You got water out of the rock. You accomplished the mission. 
But ultimately, it's the obedience piece of it that Moses falls short in. And that causes him to not be able to see the promise. And he repeats kind of this sin of falling short when things begin to get hard. And he ultimately uh, will not be the long-term Messiah. That will not be the one that the people were anticipating for. And again, with Jesus, we'll see the one that sets the captives free. But the Messiah is not going to be Moses. So today, (laughs) all this lead up, if you're wondering, that's just his introduction. Absolutely. We'll get there. Um, But today, we're going to talk again, as, as Russell said, about David, another character who has some characteristics of the Messiah that is to come. In fact, maybe was the one that, they, that the nation of Israel at the time maybe most thought, was most convinced that this could be the chosen one that's going to set things right. Uh, we'll look at some of those successes as to why that may have happened or why they may have got that sense. Uh, but ultimately, David does also fall short. So let's look at uh, David's story. We'll start uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is where uh, God will initially anoint David as the next king of Israel. Uh, Now, if you're wondering what has been happening since Moses, uh, we've got about an 800 to 1,000 year gap, depending on the resource that you look at as far as the end of Moses' life, beginning of David's life. And what we'll see here is that there's been this constant kind of uh, up and down, uh, faithful, unfaithful, success, failure relationship between the nation of Israel and God. And they're ultimately asking for quite some time to have a king or a human representative that can lead them. Um, And God is ultimately trying to get them to understand that he wants to be their king. And there's this really, really sad verse. Um, I, I came across this as I was kind of studying or, or kind of brushing up on First uh, Samuel. There's this really, really sad verse. So Samuel is this guy that God chooses as a prophet. Um, he's going to speak to the nation of Israel on God's behalf. And he's going to kind of share with them the things that God wants them to know or wants them to believe, right? And Samuel is trying to get the point across to the nation of Israel that they don't need a king, that God ultimately is the one who's going to lead them and rule them, and that's what he intends to happen. But the people keep asking for a king, and Samuel goes back to God this last time before God actually raises up a king for them and says, uh, again, they want a king. And this heartbreaking verse that God says to him uh, says, give them what they want. It's not you they've rejected. It's me that they've rejected. And I was reading that, I was like, man, that's, that just hits you right in the chest. <laughs> um, because again, it's this idea of we want to be faithful up until a point until things get uncomfortable. And again, the nation says, the Israel says, you know, we'll follow these rules, we'll follow these statutes, but we need a human representative here that we can almost idolize or worship. And we don't want to give you that worship, that last piece that you're hanging on to that you, would, that you desire. Anyway, so the first king that that God gives to the nation is Saul, and Saul does some good things, but he also screws it up, and uh, like the rest of them, and uh, and God chooses David, and and we'll see here in 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, uh, this is Samuel, the one that is speaking for the nation of Israel. He goes, God sends him on this mission to go and find this new one, this new individual he's going to raise up to be king. And he finds uh, this man named Jesse, and he's going to ask him about his sons. So he says, and said to Jesse, all, all your sons are here. And he said, there remains the yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I think that's how you pronounce that anyway. Uh, and, and from this, we'll see uh, kind of an interesting little side note from this series that I've noticed is that oftentimes when we see these kind of uh, main characters of Scripture, or we see these kind of Messiah-like figures, uh, what happens is that uh, there's like a, a gap between the time that God actually gives them their assignment or anoints them or uh, promotes them in some way, and then between that and the time that they actually fulfill the calling that they're given. We want to look back to Abraham. There's a 20-year gap between the time that God says you're going to have this child the first time or you're going to have this nation come, out, come from your line to the time that he actually has his son Isaac. From the time that David is told in 1 Samuel 16 that he's going to be king or he's anointed to be the next king, it's 15 years until he actually becomes king. Like there is this gap of time that God kind of sometimes uses to uh, either to mold us or to grow us or whatever it may be. But, but you might be in here today and you feel like God's leading you to something or there's this call on your life but it hasn't fully happened yet or you're not really experiencing it in the way that you thought you might or it's not come to fruition yet. And just to say like, has it been 15 years? Has it been 20 years? Uh, has it, is it, could it be longer? Could it be that God, like there's a time that, that you're in this waiting season um, that, that, that we see in throughout Scripture that, that many others had to go through first as well. Um, I just thought that was an interesting kind of side here. But let's get back to David's life. So David is told that he's going to be king. He's anointed by Samuel. And then he kind of goes on this interesting journey. Like I said, there's this 15-year gap where he's going to uh, be called into Saul, the current kings. Uh, he, he's going to be called in to play music for him. Uh, he's going to actually work for King Saul. And then he's going to uh, have this moment, which if you grew up in church or you've kind of been coming to church, you probably have heard many times. But he's going to have this moment where he steps up in the battlefield and he kills Goliath. Yes, David and Goliath, a uh, story that's been told many, many times, mu- movies, music, you know, the whole thing. Uh, it's been so and all done, right? I actually came across something that uh, I thought was pretty interesting about this story that I wanted to share with you. Also, uh, I'm going to get a little Bible nerdy here for a moment. If you appreciate those kind of things, this is your moment. Check in. Uh, Here we are. We're in this together. If you're not kind of into that and this goes over your head, that's all right. You can come back after we uh, wrap this up. But but if you look at the story of uh, David and Goliath in, uh, I believe it's chapter 17, You'll see over and over in the description of uh, Goliath that he is covered in bronze. Uh, It's mentioned over and over that he's got bronze here and bronze there, and this is made of bronze, and it's like bronze everywhere around him. The interesting thing about him being covered in bronze, uh, two kind of tidbits from that. One, that the Hebrew word for bronze uh, has, in my understanding, the same letters or formation as the Hebrew word for serpent. Now, why is that significant? Because if we go back to the original promise that the Israelites may have been looking back to, looking for a Messiah, uh, from the time that sin entered the world, God said that there would be a seed of Eve that would overcome the serpent, that would bruise his head, right? So we've got this giant who is opposing God's people, who is a warrior against them, and he's covered in serpent. It's interesting. 
His armor is described as being scaly or uh, a scale type, scale male type armor. He's covered in serpent and scale. How does David kill Goliath? He hits him with a rock in the head, right? And so in a sense, David has overcome the serpent by crushing his head. I think that's really interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's not interesting to you. Maybe uh, whatever. Um, But it's the first kind of step after David's anointed to be king that we begin to see maybe there's something special about him more so than just he's this potential future king, but wait, like there's a story that's beginning to build here. There's a, a narrative that's beginning to build that he has overcome this potential serpent. Well, well what else is he going to do? Well, uh, he's going to become king, and then he's going to uh, unite the nation of Israel. So he becomes king of, of Judah, of the southern kind of region, and then he's going to become king of Israel, and he's going to unite the two of them together, something that the Israelites were longing for. Not only is he going to do that, he's going to go and he's going to fight uh, off the, the enemies of Israel and expand the territory out to uh, the, the area where God actually initially told Moses a thousand years ago that this is going to be the land that I'm going to give to you and they've been kind of wandering and losing battles because they've lacked faith all along and yet David is going to establish this kingdom and establish the land that God actually had told them he would give them from the beginning. He's not only going to do that, he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which think about this like massive treasure chest uh, where uh, the most important thing about it was that it was thought that this is where God's presence was. And so he brings this ark back into the city of Jerusalem, into the city that he set up to be the capital of the nation of Israel, the capital of God's people. And so now God's presence is going to be in the center of the people of Israel again. I mean, there's, you with me here? Messiah, right? I mean, if, you're, uh, if you could put yourself in the position of a Jewish person in this time or, or of an Israelite in this time, Maybe the speakers don't want us to do that. Uh, but if, if you could think about being in this time period, if you could put yourself in this place, I mean, there's got to be a thought, right? Like, like this is, this, there's something special about this king. There's something special about this. Like, this is the most prosperous time of our lives. This is the most prosperous time of our nation, of our history. And everything that we've wanted is finally coming true. But unfortunately, we have the hindsight of the rest of David's life. Uh, And we know that there's going to be a season, there's going to be a time that comes up when David is going to be uh, overlooking uh, another house. He's going to see another man's wife bathing there. He's going to lust and long for her, bring her in, uh, sleep with her, and and she's going to become pregnant. And through that, not only is he going to commit adultery, but because she's pregnant and she's married to another man, he's going to eventually send this man out to the front lines of the battlefield so that he is killed and so that he can get away with his adultery. Uh, He's confronted by a prophet Nathan about this, and he says that this person should be killed. And yet Nathan, he doesn't catch on while Nathan's kind of challenging with the story that he's actually already committed. He doesn't catch on that he's talking about him. And he tells him that this person, if, if this person actually exists, he should be killed. Not realizing that he's talking about himself. He's going to uh, later on be run out of his kingdom by his own son. He's going to flee from that. He's going to go live in caves again. Um, 
He's going to uh, have this moment where he's asked uh, by Satan to create a census of the people of Israel. And he knows that it's the wrong thing, but he does it anyway. And then God has to ultimately come and uh, give punishment for that. And in this sense, when things become difficult, when he sees something that he wants that he knows he shouldn't have, he repeats the sins of his ancestors. And he falls short in being faithful throughout. And so ultimately... The Messiah, if we look back and these three stories combined, the Messiah, the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ is going to be a, a miraculously born son who is sacrificed. He's going to set captives free from sin and shame. And he's going to be a king who brings the presence of God back to humanity. But it's not going to be Isaac, and it's not going to be Moses, and it's not going to be David. It's going to be Jesus. And in less than a week, we're going to celebrate the birth of that Messiah, of that king who came and is better than all of these examples that we've seen. And, and hopefully just through this series and putting ourselves in the shoes of someone who was alive prior to Jesus' first birth, we can begin to anticipate that a little bit better. That helps us now anticipate his return as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Cinemark 20 off of Johnson Drive and I-35. We also have three community groups that meet every other Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or you can email me at jake at missioncitykc.com.